This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Hi, everybody. This is Jamar Tisby, president of The Witness and co-host of the Pass the Mic podcast. We are in Memphis, Tennessee. 2018 is a big year. It marks the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He was standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel when at 6.01 p.m. he was shot and killed. And so we are at the National Civil Rights Museum covering events for the next couple of days. And it began with a preview day which featured Reverend Dr. Bernice King, the daughter of Martin Luther King Jr. She gave a splendid talk that really led us into the drama that it was for the children of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Of course, we lost a civil rights hero, but they lost a father. In addition, what the National Civil Rights Museum is focusing on is the life of Coretta Scott King and her significance in relation to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., of course, but also as an activist in her own right. So the snippet you're about to hear is from an exhibit, a brand new exhibit that they created specifically for MLK 50, which gives more information about all the events that that we're going to cover this week. Hope you enjoy. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Um, Let me start just by saying, obviously, um, this is a very emotional um, time for me and my family. When my my mother uh, came back to Memphis uh, 50 years ago on April the 8th, I was not able to come. And so this is especially meaningful for me to be here uh, 50 years later uh, around this uh, commemoration that we are having. I think it's apropos and it's not an accident that uh, this commemoration and all of the previous ones have occurred uh, in this time. There's a thing called chronos time, uh, which is chronological time, and then there's a thing called a kairos time. Kairos is really God's moment when God interjects into humanity. And I think when we started commemorating the 50th anniversaries back in 2013, that was God's way of reminding us of the unfinished work of the movement that my father led, of reminding us of that aspect of the movement uh, where he taught us uh, the importance of embracing nonviolence, not merely as a tactic, but as a way of life and bringing about a more just, humane, and peaceful world. And so here we are um, with all of the challenges that we are faced with in a very polarized, divisive climate not just in this nation, but all across the world. And once again, the attention is focused around 
the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. My mother used to always say that if we are going to really create um, the beloved community, there's no escaping Martin Luther King Jr. And interestingly enough, back in 2013, Time Magazine placed my father on their cover once again. And the caption was found, it said founding father. The subcap caption said architect of the 21st century. And I was scratching my head and I was, you know, blinking my eyes because I had turned 50 and I said, well, maybe my eyes are playing tricks on me. Um, because when I saw 21st century, I said, my, my father was 32 years shy of living in this century that we now live in. And yet, this particular individual on the cover claimed him as our architect. In other words, he left us with a blueprint uh, for moving forward. And I believe a great portion of that blueprint is found in the last book that uh, was released during his lifetime uh, that he authored entitled, Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community? If you read it with some tweaks, you would think uh, he was here with us as we speak. But one of the most important parts of that writing to me is found in his last chapter entitled The World House, where he talked about the fact that we had inherited this big world house that we have made into a neighborhood because of technology and science. And with all of our diverse cultures, religion, etc., we must now find a way to create a, neighbor, a brotherhood. So he challenged us by saying that we must learn to live together as brothers, and I add sisters, or together we will be forced to perish as fools. And so I think we're in that season now um, where we're going to have to learn to live together because there's no way in the world that any of us will ever think alike, um, and we definitely are not gonna all like each other. Uh, and so we do have to learn how, though, to live uh, together, to coexist, as he said. You know, he said, we still have a choice, nonviolent coexistence or violent co-annihilation. And so I am uh, honored and humbled and filled with a lot of emotion being here in Memphis. Uh, once again, I was honored by the museum uh, this past, I think it was October. I had an opportunity to go through the museum um, and it was the first time I was here two previous times. One was in uh, the, I think around 95 or 6 when I was on a book tour. And the second time was for the 40th anniversary um, of the assassination where me and my brother spoke from the balcony. But this particular time back in October, for some strange reason, I just broke down in, in tears. Um, it may have a lot to do with my age and uh, really having to face 
uh, this once again and processing and trying to bring some closure to a lot of the emotion of losing a father, having a mother to a certain extent removed from the role that I was used to her playing by being more present physically in our household. And she was very present as I was growing up. But she obviously had a tremendous calling on her life to help to institutionalize uh, this legacy. Um, and then losing an uncle who was found in his pool mysteriously. He did not drown. There was no water in his lungs a year after my father was assassinated. And then facing a grandmother who was shot in church uh, when I was 11. We've had a lot of trauma um, as a family and for me as a child, five, six, and 11. And we've kind of been moving. And so now I just made a choice to say, I'm not gonna just keep moving anymore. I'm, I'm going to grieve and process. Um, and we need to do that more in the United States of America. Because we are carrying collectively a lot of trauma, especially those of us in the African American community. Um, and if we're not careful, it's gonna overtake us and we will self-destruct. And so again, I'm, I'm happy to be here. We uh, have joined the uh, forces with uh, the National Civil Rights Museum here uh, in the joining of the ringing of the bells. I will not uh, be in Memphis at that time that our father was assassinated. Me and my two brothers will be laying a wreath at our parents' crypt at that particular time. We will ring the bell 39 times and then lay a wreath uh, together uh, as a family and the rest of our family, King family, will join us uh, as well. And we are kind of kicking off where you all are ending from April 4th through 9th in Atlanta, uh, commemorating the 50th with our theme, MLK 50 Forward, Together We Win with Love for Humanity. Uh, that may sound idealistic to most people, but I think if my father were here, he was an optimist. Um, uh, and, uh, and when I say that, I mean he never lost hope. If you lose hope, you lose everything. In fact, when you think about the word of God, it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. So hope is very essential and critical. Um, but he also taught us a philosophy of win-win winning people over and not trying to triumph over or win over people. And so we wanted to put that out in the atmosphere and um, we will be uh, commemorating our 50th by presenting two um, attorneys with the Martin Luther King Jr. Peace Prize. We wanted to recognize who Dr. King was on that day that he was tragically taken away from us. He was a nonviolent apostle. And so we are awarding um, the last living prosecutor of the Nuremberg trials, uh, 99 years old, um, um, Ben Ferenz. And we're also awarding Brian Stevenson of the Equal Justice uh, Initiative. And then, of course, that evening, um, we will be laying, uh, ringing the bell and laying a wreath and also participating in 
a ceremony before that where we will be burning guns, turning them into shovels, and planting a tree on the campus later that week. Uh, and then we're having a beloved community talk on April the 5th and 6th, where we're dealing with the triple evils of poverty, racism, and militarism. And I know um, Marion Wright Edelman will be here. She'll be coming to Atlanta as one of our keynote speakers there. Uh, and then we have a kids event, Centennial Speaks, that my niece, who most of you saw as a part of the March for Life, will be hosting. Um, where we're highlighting young people who are doing things to make a difference in the world. That's on Saturday the 7th. But on Monday, we're concluding with a March for Humanity. And interestingly enough, before Parkland occurred, we had already had this march slated. Um, and so we didn't cancel it because if anybody knows anything about organizing, strategizing the movement that my father led, you have to keep the messaging and the pressure on. One of the tragedies, as Daddy said, is that the children of darkness are often more zealous and determined than the children of light. And I'm hoping that we have stepped into a season where that reverses, that we prove this prophet wrong. <laughs> um, that's the only place that I want us to prove him absolutely wrong. Um, and I, I feel it, I sense it. Uh, these are revolutionary times as we speak. Uh, and so um, those of you who may have a moment to come to Atlanta on March, um, April 9th, uh, we're leaving Ebenezer Baptist Church, going down to the MLK statue at the Georgia um, Capitol, which was not there 50 years ago, on the corner of Martin Luther King, Drive and Capitol Avenue, which was not there 50 years ago. Um, and we're going to have a Love for Humanity tribute. Some of the offspring of the Civil Rights Movement leaders will be joining uh, with us for that uh, program. We've invited in um, um, Robert Kennedy's daughter, Carrie Kennedy, will be joining us because we're doing a special thing around guns and the impact that it has had on families. And we're looking at starting with Obviously, um, John Kennedy, Malcolm, Medgar, King. And so that's it for, for us, so thank you. I'm here, just so you know, I, I, I'm here also with a group of pastors who's come from Atlanta uh, with me. Uh, this is a group of pastors that I've been working with for the past year called Better Together. Um, and uh, they have been meeting in small groups, um, learning each other, black and white pastors trying to overcome some of the barriers, have a better understanding of each other uh, so that they can begin to do some work together um, around race, race, and race, racial reconciliation. Um, and um, I'm just honored to be with them because if, you, if any of you all know the history, when my father was assassinated just shortly before that, when he spoke out against the Vietnam War, many churches, turned their backs on him, even black churches. We went to Chicago. He could not go to many African-American churches. And so his baby daughter, his baby girl, his baby period, <laughs> is here in Memphis and came with a group of black and white pastors and others um, to commemorate uh, this uh, assassination. So thank you, Faith.
thing before we bring Dr. King is a is a newsmaker, as you know, not just the daughter of Martin Luther King, but she is doing so much. She's had two things that she's done on her way to Memphis. The Pope. The Pope. That's right. And then the other is you were with this youth movement, the biggest youth movement that there is. She was there. So you don't have to do long, but let them know what's going on. Let them know. <laughs> you went to the Vatican. I did go to the Vatican. <laughs> I'm still processing that. Um, I went to the Vatican to have a private meeting with the Pope, um, and I was actually very nervous uh, for a number of reasons, one of which I'm not the head of the nation. Um, I'm not currently leading an active movement. So I asked the Lord, what meaneth thou this? And I'm sure as time continues to unfold, it will become clear uh, for me. Uh, but one of the things as I was uh, talking with him, one of the things that, that created a lot of anxiety was the, you know, the language barrier. And I was like, God, I hope you'll be able to you know, understand what I say. And so the Lord blessed me, and the cardinal that went in with me as the interpreter happened to be from Philadelphia. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> um, so that helped. So I got in, um, and when I got in, um, he was right at the door, and, and he said, he did say, nice, it's very nice to meet you. So he speaks a little English. And I said, honored to meet you. Um, your holiness. And he said, please sit down. So you sit down right on the side of his desk and he sits, you know, right here. I mean, he's such an humble man, no pretension as we all know. Um, and I felt comfortable enough to lean in on the Pope. <laughs> That's the kind of Pope he was. It was like, you know, I'm talking to, you know, granddaddy or something. I'm leaning in on him. Um, and uh, we had a conversation. Um, I thanked him for recognizing my father in his encyclical, uh, which is unusual because my father's a Protestant minister. Most of the references historically have not been to Protestant ministers um, for recognizing and quoting my father um, when he was here in the United States and I let him know that I was on the lawn of the White House when he spoke there. And um, I, I, uh, I told him that I believe from the bottom of my heart that God has chosen you for such a time as this with all of the polarization and the divisiveness in the world and especially your example of humility and leadership because I'm understanding a little bit more about the power of humility um, in, in in leadership and transformation. I think that was the greatest power. We talk about Dr. King's courage, but there are a lot of courageous people that are not necessarily humble people. Um, you think about you know, Jesus, who was God, but he thought it not robbery when he emptied himself and took on the form of a man. That was humility. Um, and so, I, you know, and then we went on to talk about some of the things that are happening here. I told him that um, I believe that it's time to teach um, the next generation about nonviolence and embracing it all over the world. Um, and um, 
the thing that was most interesting in our conversation beyond, he lit up every time I talked about my father, and then he talked about his great admiration for my father, my father. But the interesting thing, and I'm sharing this with all of us, is he said to me, will you pray for me? I asked him, what can I do for him? He said, pray for me. So I'm scratching my head, not literally, but figuratively, because number one, I'm a female, I'm a female pastor, you know, the Catholic Church. There's no such thing as a female priest. So I'm scratching my head, then I'm saying, okay, I'm just Bernice and you want me to pray for you. <laughs> so I said, okay. We kept talking and I asked him to, you know, um, pray for uh, or bless my um, rosary. Um, and then I had some gifts for him that I would give him out when we leave. And at the end, I said, well, can I pray for you now? <laughs> <laughs> and I prayed for him. Um, and uh, when we left, he gave me a few, couple of gifts, but when we left and went outside and exchanged my gifts, as he walked out, he looked again and said, pray for me. So I'm saying to everybody in this room, let's pray for the Pope. He's a very important person in our world now. Um, his voice is very critical to the climate of our world. Um, so let's lift him up in prayer. And I was just at the march to support um, our next generation and make some connections uh, as well with those uh, young people not just from Parkland, but Chicago and, and otherwise, uh, because I want to make sure that I'm being responsible as Dr. King's daughter to be a bridge in this time between generations.
This episode was brought to you in part by the audio adventure series Discovery Mountain. Help your kids fall in love with the Bible. Each true-to-life adventure story will draw them closer to Jesus. Visit discoverymountain.com/ct.